a trip in high school, and we were uh, doing a mission trip in Mexico. And then the last uh, night, we went to South Padre Island. I think that's what it's called. It's this island off the coast of Texas, um, which isn't typically where you'd think like a youth group from church would go because it's like the spring break capital of the world or something. But it was off season. It was very quiet, beautiful, with an eastward-facing beach. And, uh, of course, we're a youth group, so we stayed up to ridiculous late time. But then the leaders were like, we have to wake up and see the sunrise. And so... Uh, they come into our hotel rooms and wake us up and drag us out to the beach and uh, kind of this like to have a little sunrise kind of meeting as a youth group reflecting on our trip and everything. And we stagger out there feeling miserable, wishing we had gone to bed earlier. And uh, and then the sun rose and it was just absolutely breathtaking. It was like just enough clouds to make it beautiful coming up uh, from behind the ocean and uh, it was just a really sweet experience, and seeing the sunrise is, is nice, but I, I, I share that story because I, I want us to think about this idea of seeing the sunrise as, and, and putting ourselves in a place to see the sunrise as, as, as one way to kind of think of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to participate in life with God after he has saved us and brought us into his family. Because in, in the one sense, uh, what can we, what could I have done to make the sunrise? You know, I... I just, nothing. You know, the sun rises on, on, its, on its own. Uh, but then it required me to get out of bed way earlier than I wanted as a high school boy and walk down to the beach and, and sit there and, and wait for it. And so I, it's, it's a silly, silly story, silly example, but I think as Christians, sometimes we want things to happen in our life. We want sunrises to happen in our souls. We want things, part of our personalities or our lives that we don't like, that we want to see changed and transformed. We might even read in scripture that they can and should be transformed, that Jesus came to transform all of our lives. Uh, and, but yet we, we're still kind of sitting in the dark waiting for the sunrise. And, and so there's this really beautiful dynamic that we see in the way the Bible talks about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to, to live life uh, with God, and that's where we can't make the sunrise, but we can walk down to the beach and wait for it. And uh, one of the ways that we do that is, uh, is, is through reading Scripture. Re- reading Scripture together is one of the ways that we can put ourselves in place to see, see the sunrise of, of God's transforming work in our life. Maybe you're just sick of uh, the, the anger issue that you have. You lose your temper, and then you're like, oh, I need to do better next time. And it's just been 30 years of that. Maybe it's a purity issue where you just had this lingering addiction to pornography, and, and you, every time you're like, I need to do better, and you see it starting to hurt your relationships and, like, how do how do how do we make this go away? Or maybe you're just really impatient, and you say, you see that the fruit, one of the fruit of the spirit, part of the fruit of the spirit is patience. You're like, when will patience come? And my point is that God has promised to create these things in us, uh, in the same way that we see the sunrise come up every day. It's just a matter of putting ourselves in 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 position to have it have it happen. And so. Uh, I just want to invite you uh, with me to dive into Matthew. We're preaching through that for the next few months, and um, I think it's just a real simple way, a real practical way to kind of view reading Scripture like going down to the beach and waiting for the sunrise, uh, because in the one sense, it does take effort. Maybe you do need to wake up early, earlier than people think, or stay up later reading or, or whatever uh, to kind of put yourself in front of Scripture 
but it's also really freeing because you don't have to make anything happen. Your job is to immerse yourself in God's word and then let the spirit do, do the work. There's no pressure to make it super intense or powerful or to get something out of it every morning or to get a word that's going to transform everything like a silver bullet to simply making space. So I invite you uh, just join us as a, as a church family to dive into the book of Matthew. There's 28 chapters in Matthew, and so I'd encourage you just to read the chapter that corresponds with the date uh, and just you know spend 15, 20 minutes reading that chapter over, read it out loud, read it with a friend. Um, and then, you know, that gives you some wiggle room. So if you miss a day, just, you know, get, get, uh, get caught up. Because uh, one of the things that we see in Scripture is that when the saints, when people who are following Jesus together come around the word together, really cool things happen, really powerful things happen. Today we're going to continue to talk about Jesus' authority, and we've done this a few Sundays now, and we'll continue to do it for, for uh, a couple months as we look at the next few chapters in Matthew and I, I don't think we've fully acknowledged yet that uh, we've acknowledged that authority is tricky, uh, that w- we have a, a difficult relationship with it in our culture. But I just want to take a, a hot second and just acknowledge that uh, probably a lot of us, we have some form of baggage around authority. We've been under bad authority that's hurt us, or we've been under foolish authority that, that hurt systems or organizations that we were a part of. If nothing else, you know, all of us were born into a family that had some kind of authority. Maybe it was too strong and oppressive. Maybe it was absent and kind of left us afraid. Depending on how our fathers were, whether they were there or not, and what they were like. And, and I just want to, uh, as we explore Jesus' authority, just encourage you to be curious about what your experience with authority has been and, and what might be some of the baggage with it. Because one of the things that's just true of humans is, is that when we have wounds or we have things that ain't, that ain't right down in there, uh, they, they tend to come up in other relationships. Like if, you are, if you've been hurt by a certain type of person, like there was someone who, who uh, had been hurt by a pastor in the past, and so we, started to have, we, we had all these weird issues, and I couldn't figure it out. Because we were just hanging out trying to be friends, and then it came out like, oh, there was this really deep pa- pastor wound from, from his past. It's kind of like if you have a wound on your arm, and it doesn't heal right, and it's infected, then someone bumps your arm, something that you might not have noticed if your arm was healthy, now becomes a huge throbbing pain, and you get really mad at them. Like, is it the person who bumped you fault? It was just a casual bump, or was it the fact that there's a wound that hasn't been healed and just to give space for that, because Jesus is a healer, as we're going to see today. Jesus is someone who came to heal our sickness, our brokenness, our wounds. And if this is hard to think about Jesus in terms of authority, in terms of a king, um, just give yourself time, and this would be something to, to offer to him. I'd also encourage you to doubt your own authority. Sometimes what seems safest to us is like, well, if I'm in control, if I have the authority, if I am living my life according to what I think is right, then, then I'll be okay. I can't let anybody else tell me what to do or, or whatever. And maybe that's working out really good for you. And, you know, if, if so, come, come tell me your secret. But I think if we can turn some of the criticism that we have towards authority to, onto ourselves and our own authority, our own desire to be king of our own little worlds, and consider, what, just what, what, how is it working out for you? What, what are some of the, the, the results or the fruit of you being in control of your life? Is there anything that you don't like that you might want to see changed? Um, consider, consider that maybe you, you are not the best person to be authority of your own life. 
The last thing as we, as we look at Jesus' authority again today is I'm, just, I'm really excited to be talking about this now because as we look at where we are as a church and seeking God to revitalize us as a church family, I just want to make it super clear that uh, we're, we're, we want to follow Jesus together. That is not Josh, Josh's vision. It's not Pastor Josh's ideas. If it is, oh my goodness, let's shut it down and go home. Uh, I just make it clear that I don't have any authority in and of myself. The Bible talks about pastors being under shepherds or like under pastors under Jesus, who's the chief shepherd. And so if we're all seeking him together, if we're all diving into Matthew or, or scripture together, if you're reading somewhere else, uh, to, to see what it is that Jesus says. Because if, if you're seeing it for yourself rather than, than just hearing me say it, then it, it carries a little bit more weight. It's really easy to just blow off something I say. It's like, oh, this is Josh. He's just really intense and exhausting and, you know, whatever. That's a, that's a nice thought for a sermon. But if we're reading Jesus ourselves, then we can see what he's talking about. And, you, if, and if I say something that's not right, then we can look at Jesus together and we can wrestle with it together. Because as we seek revitalization, if it's just like Josh's vision or Josh's ideas, then that's, it's just, that's not how churches are revitalized. It's only revitalized when we come under King Jesus together. So let's place ourselves in the book of Matthew. We dive into this, this story, uh, these two stories of healing. Um, Matthew chapter 4 through 7 kind of describe the kingdom. Jesus came proclaiming the good news that the kingdom is at, is at hand. He was proclaiming the good news of the gospel, which is that life with God is now available to us. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. And he describes it. He describes what the kingdom is like in chapters 4 through 7. A big part of that is the Sermon on the Mount, some of my favorite parts of Scripture, where he, he describes what it looks like to live in the kingdom, what it looks like to be one of his followers and, and live the way he designed life to work. And then starting in chapter 8, where we are today, Matthew, who compiled this biography of Jesus, is now showing Jesus bringing that kingdom through action, through deed, into the life of real people. We talked about it last week a little bit, where the Sermon on the Mount, the most like compre- comprehensive teaching of Jesus, it starts with Jesus sitting down, his disciples coming to him, and Matthew says, he opened his mouth and taught them. And then chapter 8, after that teaching, it said he reached out his hand and touched them. So Matthew's showing the, the word and the deed. The, Jesus teaches with his mouth, and he reaches out and touches with his hands. He's not just a teacher who dispenses ideas and bounces. He's, uh, he's also a healer. He's also a king who, who reaches out and, and touches The main point for this morning is that Jesus' authority is good news. It's kind of why we're talking about baggage, because sometimes the word of authority over our lives doesn't sound like good news all of a sudden, uh, on, on the, at first blush. It can, be, it can be really bad news. Someone, you get a new boss, or someone gets promoted over you that you work with, and you're like, oh no, that person now has authority over me. That's not, that's not a good thing. And I want us to see... Through, the, through these two stories that Jesus' authority is really good news. So I'm going to just talk through them real briefly, and then we, get, we have three points, three aspects of Jesus' authority being good news. 
The first uh, story is the faith of the centurion. This is a, re- a really amazing story in a lot of different ways. Uh, the first thing, if you're looking at uh, following along in, in your Bibles, uh, in the Pew Bibles, is 1507, looking in, in chapter 5. Uh, Jesus enters a city and a centurion came to him who would have not been of the same nationality of Jesus. He would have been what, they, what his people would have called a Gentile or an outsider. <laughs> he was part of the army that was oppressing Israel. He was a part of the army, a, a commanding officer, if you will, of the army that was currently occupying Jesus' home country and oppressing it. The, the relationship between Romans and Jewish people was not good, where the Jews hated their oppressors, and Romans viewed Jews very, very poorly, very, very lowly. And what's crazy is that he comes and just simply states a need. My, in, in verse 6, he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. He does the same thing that the man with leprosy did right before this. Is he doesn't actually ask for anything. He just states the issue. He just states the problem. And Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll come heal him. And the, the centurion, he kind of launches into military mode and says, like, you don't have to do that, just say the word. And the way Matthew shares this encounter with us, the, the, main, the main point is, is faith. And Jesus does. He says the word, and the, and the servant is healed. Right after that, Matthew gives us one more healing story before he gets into a, a little teaching bit. Where Jesus, and I always giggle when I read this passage, Jesus enters into Peter's house, and his mother-in-law is there, who's sick. And it's almost like he was hungry and wanted someone to cook him food, and he's like, oh, okay, now you're not sick. <laughs> you, can, you can serve me, because it says, he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. And so he's hanging out at Peter's house, and it talks about all kinds of people coming to him. Demon-possessed people were brought to him. He, and he drove out spirits with a word. He healed all the sick. So right after all this teaching, Matthew gives us these three healings, these three stories of Jesus doing this incredible healing. And the first thing we see of Jesus' authority over the physical world, over illness, so over physical ailments, is that Jesus' authority is good news because it's everywhere. So what's so significant about the centurion being healed? Look at verse 8. Jesus just said in verse 7, I'll go to heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. That one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. It's really fascinating that this man who is both under authority and has people under his authority seems to just dial in real quick to this foreigner, someone who is a different ethnicity, different nationality than, than him, and, and, G- and he notices Jesus' authority. Him, that whole discussion of, like, I'm under authority, I'm under the authority of the emperor, and then also I have people under my authority, and so my word carries weight there. Like the sphere of my authority <clears throat> is influenced. In the sphere of my authority, it's influenced by a word. So the emperor, what is the sphere of the emperor's influence? It's like 
everywhere in the empire, which Israel was now a part of the Roman Empire. And so a word of the emperor goes forth, and that happens. And the centurion, he was called a centurion, like century, because he had 100 men under his command. And so his sphere of authority was those 100 men, where he says a word and they do it. And what's just so profound, we, we know this is profound because of how Jesus responds to this man, is that this, this centurion seems to be dialed in to the fact that the entire world is part of Jesus' sphere of influence or sphere of authority. He's not treating Jesus like some kind of mir- like miraculous like healer, guru kind of sorcerer kind of person who needs to come in to, you know, say the magic spell to heal something. He's like, no, I understand that you have authority. Just say the word because your authority is everywhere. Jesus coming from God over everything, from through which and for which everything was made, the centurion is acknowledging, like, just say the word because my house, this street, all the houses, all the planets are under your authority. You see people treating Jesus like a magician in scripture, but that is not what this guy is doing. This guy is treating Jesus like a king, like the, the sovereign God of the universe. And this is good news. The fact that Jesus' authority is everywhere is good news to us because it means that we can never be outside of it. That we never have to be on our own, never be hopeless. Now, depending where you are in life, what's going on in your life, or what's happened in your life, this, this could be kind of hard to accept. Are you saying that these awful, painful things that happened to me were part of Jesus' authority? And I don't by any means want to make light of suffering or the, the complicated but very true thing that all suffering is, is within God's plan for redemption to be made new. And also that he hates it, hates suffering, hates evil. It's a hard truth, but it's true. And if we let it sink in, if we can take it and believe it, we will have incredible hope in areas where things seem dark. And, and I think if we apply this to parenting, this idea of parenting, where authority uh, interacts into a situation and the person under authority doesn't like it, but the authority knows that it's good. Like in, for an example, Johnny... Uh, has this fascination with the toilet. So he'd be like really, really diligent about keeping that lid down because he likes to go fishing in there. <laughs> and uh, he gets so mad slash sad whenever we uh, have to like pull him out of the bathroom and shut the door, even though he can open it. It's kind of pointless. Uh, so Johnny is really mad that we don't let him go fishing in, in the toilet. But because we love him, we don't want him splashing around in the poop water. And in the same way, it's a, it's a silly story, in the same way that we are Johnny in that situation. We like to go to poop water a lot. And God, in his mercy, reaches in, even it makes us mad and shuts things down for us. It's a silly story, but I, and again, I don't want to be insensitive because I know there are situations in our life, things that we've done that we have such deep regret about, things that were done to us that just devastate us and we're still trying to heal from. But one of the realities of Jesus' authority is that it is everywhere and that he's never, like, surprised. He's never like, oh, oh, shoot, I didn't, I didn't mean for that to happen. 
He's in control, and he has a plan, and he will redeem everything. We see some of the goodness of this in the second point, which is Jesus' authority is good news because it will end human suffering. Jesus uses his power, his authority, whenever he uses it in scripture, he uses it to to meet needs and heal, to end human suffering. It's never just some kind of like random show of power. If we're comparing Jesus to like a superhero or a wizard or something, it's not like a showdown where he's just trying to prove that he is powerful. We saw that last week when he heals a guy and says, don't tell anybody. Like, I don't want people to just come to me because of this pizzazz. I want them to come to me because I am the way and the truth and the life. It's not a naked display of power to prove himself. Jesus' miracles, when he has authority over the, the physical realm, it's always dealing with human suffering, seeking to alleviate human suffering. Wherever he went, he brought a blessing, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, liberating the oppressed letting the blind see and the deaf hear and the mute speak, even raising the dead. We see Jesus' authority as good news because it's towards us for good. This was a super fascinating thing that I saw in studying for this passage because we always think of Jesus' miracles as supernatural. And, you know, some people like to brush over the supernatural like if we just get rid of all the miraculous stuff in scripture then it's just like a helpful book for you know learning how to live life that's not true there's imminent supernatural things that are outside of the natural realm that, that we know in scripture but this is what's so fascinating is that in another way we could see the miracles as like the most natural things in scripture they're pointing back to the way things should be the way things are meant to be according to God's good and perfect design before sin and death ruined everything. Before humans turned our, we humans turned our back on, back on God, the true ruler, the true king, where everything flourishes, think, things were good. And so in some sense, miracles are the most natural things that ever happened. Uh, on earth because sin is always a twisting and a breaking and a ruining of good beautiful natural things that God created and built the second thing we see uh, or the the next thing about Jesus' authority in ending suffering is to bring the kingdom to restore all things look at verse 11 he says I say to you many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's a phrase in here when he talks about the feast that if you did a word study just kind of unpacks this beautiful picture of this feast to end all, to end all feasts. This, this, it points to the wedding supper of the Lamb where all things are made new, where everybody has a place, where there's plenty of food that perfectly satisfies It's pointing to the redemption of all things that we see later on in Scripture. When Christ comes back to rule the earth, he will heal everything, and it will be like a feast. There will be no more sickness, no more Alzheimer's, no more diabetes, no more little kids getting brain cancer, no more stillbirths. 
what this is showing us about Jesus and his authority is that Jesus is no more okay than you and I are about all the brokenness and illness and death in the world. He's not okay about how things are right now. And he uses his authority for good. Where things are under his authority, they are healed. Where things and people submit to his authority, they are healed. Even suffering is redeemed and healed. Hope this is just a, a little taste of Jesus's uh, authority being good news. If if you're like me, the resounding question in my brain is like, so how do we how do we embrace this? How do we live into this now? How do how do what does it look like to actually live under Jesus's authority so that I experience this healing, whether it's physical healing in my body or uh, spiritual healing of these issues that I hate seeing in my life year after year. The third point is Jesus's authority is good news through faith. This is kind of the main point of this story of the centurion that Jesus or that Matthew is really hitting home. Look at verses eight through, um, actually let's start in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This is the, ma the main emphasis this call to faith, and it's like a churchy word, it's a girl's name, like it just, I feel like this word just doesn't have a whole lot of traction with us, uh, but it's such a powerful idea when we can really embrace it and start to live it out, because authority is not, again, objectively good news. Jesus is ha has authority. Whether you see it as good news or not, whether you submit to it or not, Jesus still has authority. It just is true. Uh, someday, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But the way that authority becomes good news to us is when we can accept it by faith. <clears throat> and my hope is that the last few minutes here, we can just take a new, fresh look at faith. Because faith is different from belief. Faith is an immediate knowing, like an experiential knowing that comes from actually experiencing it. Faith without experience, is belief. And this is a, a really important distinction because I think most of us would probably, a great example would be uh, anything that we have belief about. Like, I think most of us know what causes the human body to gain weight. Like, it's not a matter of, like, believing things. Like, we're lacking information, and if we believe things differently, then we wouldn't be big. We, 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 we wouldn't gain weight. But instead, it's a matter of faith would be living like that is actually true. James 2 says, even the demons believe that, that God is one and tremble. Like even people who are categorically opposed in everything about their essence and nature against God, they still believe that he exists. But they live in such a way <coughs> to reject his authority. So faith without experience is belief. And that's, that's not what really brings us into this healing good life, this healing good news of living under Jesus' authority. Sometimes we can kind of 
create a, a pseudo faith in terms of belief where we we like really dive into like the facts and the information and we research all this stuff and, and that's all well and good we should dive into truth of scripture and, and doctrine but at the end of the day the only w- way we really this really becomes like a faith that heals us a faith that like brings us into the good life is if we experience this Just looking at the centurion here, how did, he, how did he know to reach out to this Jewish peasant in this desperate state? He's about to lose someone important to him. And he knew to come and find Jesus and present the case to him. How, how did he know that? Deep consideration. This guy was not just kind of head down, piddling along in his life. He was ears and eyes up and open, looking to to know what was going on. He had heard enough about Jesus, experienced enough with Jesus to say, "This, this man has authority everywhere. This man can say a word and take care of this servant. So some of us, what, what I'm saying is some of us need to consider Jesus. We need to like open our eyes and our ears and actually consider who Jesus is and what he said and what he did. Like we've we're in this culture where kind of everybody's a Christian more or less or would check that box or whatever, but do we actually know Jesus? Does he actually play a role in our lives? And, and so step one is actually beholding the man that Scripture reveals him to be. And then Jesus himself ends the Sermon on the Mount being very clear, like it's just not a matter of hearing what he says, but actually practicing it, living it out. He talks about the wise person who does what he says is like it builds his house on the rock. And the foolish person just hears, just kind of went to Sunday school and comes to church when it's convenient or whatever, but lives his life according to what seems right to him is like the man who builds his life on the sand, doesn't actually live it out, doesn't experiencing the, doesn't experience the healing good news. Again, faith is belief with experience. Faith is where if we believe that gravity is true, faith is not stepping off of a roof or just making sure, <laughs> making sure that we're not going to die from falling. And this is what's so, so piercing about this. I think especially to us in a, in a kind of Christian-y culture where people have some kind of church background, look at verse 12. Jesus just got done talking about people coming from outside of Israel, people coming from all over to the kingdom, to the feast. And he says, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there, is, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like people get thrown out, like people who haven't actually submitted in faith. They believe Jesus is king, but they haven't necessarily submitted in faith and experience. As I've been thinking about faith the last couple weeks, uh, I just can't get past the the scene from Indiana Jones and, uh, oh shoot, it's the, the one where they, they drink the cup. The, the, what's it called? The Last Crusade. Last Crusade. I want to say Search for the Ark, but that's not it at all. <laughs> um, it's on Netflix. Hi, highly recommend. Revisit that 1989 classic. But there's this scene that so perfectly captures this. Like, I wish I could play it for you. Where Indiana Jones is trying to do the leap of faith, where there's that invisible bridge. And... Sean Connery is about to die, and he's like, hurry, Indy, hurry. 
and he's, everybody's sweaty, and he's looking at this big, this big chasm between him and the, and the Holy Grail, and it's just, it just falls into black nothingness, and he's got to do the leap of faith, and you see him, like, freaking out. He's, he's, the wind's blowing his hat and everything. He's taking big gulps of air, and, and what does he do? The, the only way for it to work is he actually has to step. Like, the, the fact that the bridge is there or not has no bearing on his life until he steps on it. In 1989, CGI is awesome. So I just want us to consider faith in, in, in that sense. Like, faith isn't, like, complete, absolute certainty with no wavering, no deep gulps of breath and sweating and wondering if you're going to fall to your death and be destroyed forever. Faith is living like you, what, like you believe is true. James says, let me show you my faith by how I live, by, by my works. Like, let my life show you that I have faith. This is a big, big topic, faith. Again, in my prayers, just by the power of the Spirit, we just con would consider it afresh. Consider the, the action, the, the leap of faith that is required for Jesus' authority to be good news to us. That, like, his authority does us no good if we just stand on the edge of the cliff, anxious and afraid. It only becomes good when we take that step and live like it's true. And there's so many ways this could play out. And the Spirit's leading you to something to say, something to someone, or do something, or to stop doing something, like listen to the Spirit. I just want to put one thing before us that we've already talked about, which is to, to get into his word, to see opening up the Bible, structuring our lives around the Bible to abide in his word. Jesus says uh, we'll be his disciples when we abide in his word, like live in it, like soak in it, memorize it, chew on it, breathe it. I think like the sunrise of Jesus' good news will, will begin to rise in our lives and hearts through incredible peace, incredible groundedness and security in our life. So just as if you're looking like, what does it mean to live by faith this week? Let me just propose to you to, to get into the word every day this week. Put yourself on the beach wait, and wait for the sunrise. Say, God, I, I want to I live like Jesus is really king. I want to live like his authority is good news. So will you show me through your word by the power of the Spirit that this is true? This is only good news if we experience it through faith. It's like taking a vaccine. It just does no good unless we like put it into our bodies, unless we actually take the vaccine. If we're sick and we know a vaccine will help or there is a cure out there, we have to take it. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Look at verses 16 and 17. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This, is what, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Jesus literally is the cure to our diseases. Where, where did he take them on himself? Where were our sin, our brokenness, all the results of our sin put on him? It was on the cross, and he literally took them on. 
we, we can see that his authority is good news because he was willing to lay it down, lay down his life and die for us, which is the ultimate, ultimate good news. So come to a king who, who wants to be a, an authority in your life and who also loved you literally to the point of death. And again, I would encourage you just to consider how you can get God's word in your life. If we believe that it's living and active, that as we let it form us, like we don't like force it into our lives, we, we let our lives be formed into it. And I just encourage you to get really creative about this. Like depending on what your background is, maybe you've never heard of like doing a regular time in the word or a quiet time or whatever, um, but there are all kinds of apps out there that will like read it to you. One of them has like a cool beat to it. Uh, so maybe you need to listen to it because you don't have a whole lot of time and you're just in the car a lot. Um, maybe you need to find some podcasts that talk about it and explain it. Maybe you need to memorize it. There's just so many ways to get God's word into us. And I would encourage you just as a, as a step of faith, you might be like, I don't know how to do this. I don't understand a lot. This might be a waste of time. I feel dumb when I read it. Uh, just take that step of faith and see what God God might do. As we think about where we are as a church and revitalization, it makes me so excited and so hopeful to think about us as a small church family just immersing ourselves in, in the word of God and seeing what the spirit, spirit does with that, how it shapes us and how it calls us into this good news of Jesus' authority. Let me pray.